I am so fired up. I'm way too fired up. We're not even through minicamp yet, and that is next week. So let's talk about that. Mark Vandermeer and John Harris with you tonight live as we have the general. Because it's Thursday night, this is what we do, and we are privileged to have him aboard. John McClain with us. General, how are you doing? What's your latest take on what you saw this week at OTAs? I know you don't make much of it, but you have to have some general thoughts here, General. And minicamp coming up next week before we hit the long break. Good evening. It'll be, thank you, it'll be nice to see all the players show up. The guys that haven't been there, they have to be there next week for the mandatory mini camp. And uh, I, I thought it was it was a great play was made by Xavier, ex-Xavier Hutchinson. Deep pass down the middle in which he went up and made a great play. Guys were running right with him. And those are the kind of plays we saw him make at Iowa State, where he was the best receiver in the Big 12, one of the best in the country, and I still don't know why he lasted until the sixth round. I'm glad uh, Nick Serio traded up to get him. Nick mentioned something in his post-draft news conference about the way he worked out, and I think if that helped the Texans get him, then they should be glad. But he, you know, he's 6'3", and they need a young receiver to emerge. Like all these people want DeAndre Hopkins. They don't need two 31-year-old starting wide receivers when you're in the third year of a rebuild. You need to let these young guys get a chance. They got a lot of young guys with talent that uh, fans want to see. I was watching Tank Dell and other returners, and Tank Dell has quickness I can't remember. He kind of reminds me of Trendon Holiday, but he's smaller. He's not, he's not as short, but he's thin, but he's so quick. He's like a gnat. And uh, watching him cut and plant and work his way through the guys, even though they're not going to hit him, I can't wait to see Tank a returning kicks. Can't wait to see him catch the ball in the middle of the field and see him make uh, maneuvers. You know, Stroud worked a little bit with first-team receivers. It's too bad. So many of his linemen are out, and he's not been able to work with the top guys. But you know, when we, when we get to training camp, and they can start, you know, not taking each, anybody to the ground, but you can see them cover, get away from DBs, separation, things like that. I'm fired up too. Hey, General, I know it's just the uh, OTAs. I, I get all that, and obviously two days or three days of mini camp or whatever it's going to be this week, and you haven't seen the linemen do anything. But has there been anybody to you that you're like, you know what, that guy's kind of surprising. I didn't think much of that guy going in or I wasn't thinking much of him. But, man, you watch him now, and, boy, he's pretty impressive. Has there been anybody like that to you that stood out that way? It's hard to tell about linebackers and defensive backs. If you look at linemen and you see the people they could be counting on, Dylan Horton, it would be a godsend if he could get in the rotation. Now, you know Will Anderson's going to start. You have Jonathan Grenard and Jerry Hughes in the last uh, year of their contracts. And then Horton, if he could get in at defensive end and be in that rotation, that would be terrific. He's got good size. He's got quickness. Uh, They need guys on the inside to be able to penetrate. You know, they're always looking for a guy next to Malik Collins. I watch him out there busting his butt, sweating like crazy, and that's one reason coaches are always so fired up about Malik Collins. I have a column that will be on SportsRadio610.com in the morning, and I went back and looked. And D'Amico Ryan's is back seven. Not one guy 
was drafted above the third round, except Jimmy Ward way before D'Amico got there in 2014, and now he's here. And those guys have developed into Pro Bowl players who helped them have the number one defense in the league, number two against the run, without having a Derek Stingley Jr. or Jalen Petrie back there taken in the first or second round. And if D'Amico can help do that with the 49ers back seven, uh, no telling what he can do here working with guys like uh, Stingley and Petrie. But of course, 49ers had three number one picks in the defensive line, and uh, it's not going to be, they're not going to be able to do that all at once here, but it's coming. So they got to get those linemen to step up and play. Millie Collins is good. Grenard, when he's healthy, he's good. Hughes, when he's healthy, he's good. But they need other guys to emerge as part of that rotation. This is the kind of question I could ask in mid-August, but let's set the table now, General. What do you think is the toughest cut on the team, the position group that's going to be toughest to whittle down to whatever the, whatever the number is they want it to be? Well, you can kind of look at the offensive line. You know who the top three tackles are going to be. You know who the right guard's going to be. I think it's going to be a tougher cut, but not like the defensive line. There's so many defensive linemen on this team. I think there's, John, you probably mm-hmm. counted them. I think it's like 16 or 17. Yep. Yep. And it, if it's a tough cut, it doesn't mean because they're all doing well. It means they're close together. They're playing a different defense. You know, as, as Matt Burke, the new coordinator, says, they want to attack, attack, attack up front with a four-man rush, and hopefully they don't have to blitz. Well, there's opportunity there. And we know four of them are going to be here for sure. The three ends I mentioned in Malik Collins. And everybody else seems to be competing for jobs. Nothing's going to happen to a fourth-round pick like Orton. But I can't wait to watch them because it's so important to what D'Amico Ryans and Matt Burke want to do. It all starts up front on defense, and that's how you make those guys in the secondary when uh, they're not out there by themselves. And I thought it was also interesting, I found out looking through all this, only five players started 17 games last year and one of them was Jonathan Owens who's gone they didn't invite him back Jimmy Ward and Jalen Petrie will be the starting safeties but they need more guys to have the kind of durability they did Laramie Tunsil who we hope we'll see next week I'm guessing he's spending some of that money that he got for being the highest paid lineman in history for the second time in his career you know Laramie will be there he played great last year and Titus Howard started every game last year. Now, he's in a contract. He's got, what, one year left on his contract? It's a big season for Titus Howard as well, but I'm still going to say the defensive line because I can only pick pick out about four that I can say for sure are going to make that roster. General, I hope that these four veterans I'm going to ask you about all have really good seasons. I hope they all have good seasons. But if you had to pick one that absolutely, without a question, had to have a – Stellar season. Ooh, that's a good Texas. one. Fire away, so John. Here are that's the a four. great one. You, you pick one of the four that has to have a great season. Jimmy Ward, Sheldon Rankins, Denzel Perryman, Shaq Mason. Which of those four has mm. to have a, a tremendous season for this Texans team? I mean, three of them could stink, but the one that you pick has to have that great season that really can kind of trigger this team in 2023. Which guy do you think it is of those four? Shaq Mason, because he's not going to be in a rotation like the defensive lineman. And Jimmy Ward's going to be, he's about to turn 32. This is his 10th season. And it'd be great if he could be a great player. But Shaq Mason was brought here for a reason, to solidify right guard. You know, they change offensive line coaches, offensive line systems. 
everything every year, and they change right guards. Shaq Mason should start 17 games. I don't know that any of those others will. In fact, I know they won't because they're going to be part of rotations. But I would say him because the offensive line is so key to what they want to do. And even though he's a guard, it's not as important a position as some of those others. I still think Mason was brought here to be a leader, and he was brought here to be a contributor to a line that has to finally show some stability. John, what about Robert Woods? What are your expectations for him in this offense? Is he the type of player who, at his age, they're going to look to, hey, let's get the young guys in there, but Robert Woods will hold it down? Or are you expecting big-time production from him a year removed from recovery from the knee injury that set him down in 2021? He got back last year, but probably didn't have the kind of campaign he was looking for. He's used to bigger campaigns than that. I know the Titans were highly flawed. Your thoughts? A couple of weeks ago, I was watching Stephanie Annabelle, who does all the injuries for ESPN, and she was talking about the history of players being better in their second year back from torn ACLs. Now, there's exceptions. Adrian Peterson made the quickest and greatest comeback I've ever seen from a torn ACL. And I think Woods is the same age as DeAndre Hopkins. He's a couple months uh, older. In 2020, when Diop was great for the Cardinals, Robert Woods was great for the Rams. He had like 90 catches, 1,200-something yards, six touchdowns, same number, hop pads. So he was good. And one of the reasons they like him, and a lot of this is subconscious, he's got opportunity, and I think he'll be C.J. Stroud's favorite receiver, he and Dalton Schultz, because Woods is a veteran. Woods will be a good leader for Stroud. Stroud will know when he goes back, Woods is going to be where he's supposed to be. Some of these young guys, they don't know. I remember Warren Moon used to tell me, some guys, when they're young receivers, you know where they're supposed to be, but they don't. So in clutch situations, you can't trust them, but a veteran, and he was using the example of the late, great Drew Hill, and this one would be Robert Woods. Stroud will know that when when he needs Woods to be somewhere, that's where he's going to be. Then it'll be up to Robert to make the catch. The coaches and the team just love Robert Woods behind the scenes. General, ESPN did an article, and they came up with the quote-unquote roster core. Five guys that they believe make up yeah, the top I saw that. Do you agree? C.J. Stroud, Laramie Tunsil, Will Anderson Jr., Derek Stingley Jr., Damian Pierce. Do you think that's the core five for the Texans? You can't say Stroud and Anderson anything about him when they haven't played. Now, Titus Howard ought to be on there. Damian Pierce, Jalen Petrie. I've got Tunsil, of course, number one. So that's four. Now, of course, the expectations are Will Anderson may end up being defensive rookie of the year. But when they haven't taken a snap, haven't had a minicamp, the veteran minicamp, I wouldn't do that. So if you had to pick a fifth guy, who would it be? I would say Malik Collins. The coaches love Collins. He's been a tough guy in the middle. He's been a contributor since he got here. Every staff has liked him. I would put him on that top five now if he asks this question a quarter point through the through the season then will anderson you know he's going to be he should be right up there if he's healthy john what are you hearing in nashville about how will levis is doing and Tannehill and all our friends with the tennessee titans as they embark on another campaign you know they're all they were six and six when Tannehill was healthy last year and then he got hurt. So, you know, they think they're going to finish second. Of course, they think they're going to win the division. They had home field advantage two years ago. They got to use, they're talking about Derrick Henry catching more passes. And I'm thinking that'd be one of the dumbest things I've ever heard because every <laughs> defensive coordinator and player in the league will go, 
man, thank you. Send him on a route. Don't have him coming in there between the tackles. So they're hoping at Traylon Burks in his second year. And if they sign DeAndre Hopkins, then Hop's going for the money, not for the Super Bowl. And that would be a good move for them. They've had to totally rebuild their offensive line. I don't know if it's going to be any good or not. And their defense is always good. But uh, I think realistically, most people think they'll they'll win second and then it'll be between Houston and Indy for the uh, third and last. Tell you an interesting thing, I saw people just oohing and on over. Anthony Richardson throwing balls in the trash can. And I'm thinking, man, they're not getting covered and he's not getting rushed. And how many times is he going to be thrown into a trash can during a game? <laughs> As you guys talked about the Tennessee Titans, I was like, man, I think we've buried the lead in some sense. Then you mentioned DeAndre Hopkins, John, the fact that uh, he is going to take a visit apparently on Sunday to Tennessee, which I, I can't honestly <laughs> – if I think about Hopkins' decision, John, I think about getting the bag, getting some money, or going and getting a ring. I don't think he gets either one of them in going to Tennessee. What do you make of the fact that Tennessee is going to be a stop on Hopkins' world tour to find a, find a spot for 2023? I don't know how much money they have available. You can always make that contract where it's a low cap figure in the first year if they want to do it. Arizona could have done it if they'd have wanted to keep him, but they didn't. I saw somebody write, if you're in Arizona and you're 30, you're not long for the world. And you're doing them a favor getting rid of guys from Arizona because everybody thinks they're going to be the worst team in the league. They're probably begging, I'm about to turn 28. Can't you go ahead and get me next? Hop had a list two weeks ago, teams he wanted to go to. It was four Super Bowl contenders, four great quarterbacks, and then he got an agent. And since he's got an agent, Hop loves everybody. So I'm guessing that a lot of this is the agent. Because if he really wanted to go to the Super Bowl, he would call a team, call Andy Reid and say, look, what do I need to do to come there? Because he's made so much money. hes I don't think he's married. And he's never been one that we think is ostentatious when it comes to spending, except sometime on his wardrobe, a costume. And so I'm guessing he's got a lot of money. But you know how it is. Players, they want to win but they want money too. And the the Browns, I'm still going to guess that the Browns, and even though they have five receivers, including three new ones to go with returning starters, Mari Cooper and Donovan Peoples-Jones, Deshaun Watson continues to lobby them. And Tony Grossi, my buddy, covers the team. He said because of the June 1st deadline last week, the Browns have freed up some cap money. And even though Watson is lobbying for him, there's a lot of people say, well, you already got five receivers here. Where's he going to fit? And I said, well, he's DeAndre Hopkins. If he's healthy, uh, he'll fit wherever he wants to fit. And uh, so I'm going to guess that uh, they've done everything they can to put people around Watson. And if he wants Hop, I'm guessing that Hop's going to go there. John, who is the best coach the Texans will face this year? They're not playing Andy Reid. They're not playing Bill Belichick. Who is the best coach? They got John Harbaugh. You got Mike Tomlin. You got Vrabel in the division. You have Sean Payton out in Denver. What are you thinking here? Best coach they will face this year. It amazes me. I hear people all the time talking about Sean Payton's Hall of Fame coach, and, and maybe he will be, but he's won one Super Bowl. He won the time he went seven and nine, three years in a row. And it's amazing. He wasn't such a great coach when Drew Brees left. If you look at great coaches, how many of them had great quarterbacks? Almost every one of them. 
that's why Joe Gibbs winning three Super Bowls and going to a fourth with four different quarterbacks whose names have never been used in a sentence with the Hall of Fame may be the most impressive postseason accomplishment in history. John Harbaugh has been a consistently great coach like Peyton had some ups and downs, but he's also won one. Do they play the Patriots this year? I can't even remember. I'm guessing not, or you wouldn't ask that question. And Mike Vrabel around the league is viewed as a great coach, so I would have to say, off the top of my head, it would be Peyton or Harbaugh. Yeah, that's probably, that's pretty close. I mean, this is one of those kind of odd years. There's no Belichick, there's no Andy Reid, at least at this particular point. So uh, we'll see how Mike Tomlin. Mike Tomlin, Tomlin, Mike Tomlin. There I, you go. I put Mike Tomlin right up there with those guys. I'll have one Super Bowl ring. General, one team the Texans do not play in 2023. We'll play them in 2024, but not in 2023. It's the Minnesota Vikings. They jettisoned Eric Kendricks. They jettisoned Adam Thielen. They apparently tomorrow will release Dalvin Cook, and it looks like Daniil Hunter may not be too far behind. So, two-part question. A, what exactly are the Vikings doing and B, should the Texans, maybe not Dalvin Cook, but Daniel Hunter? He went to Morton Ranch out in Katy. You know, there's a Houston connection. He's an edge guy. I think you could still use some edge guys, especially a guy that's one of the best in the league. What are your thoughts about the Vikings and then potentially any of those guys the Texans may look at? Like everything, Daniel Hunter would it be about money. He turns 29 in October. And I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. They can use edge guys, but they already got three. Do they need four? Do they want a guy who's going to be 29 when they're when they're still rebuilding? Last year he had 10 and a half sacks. That was his most since 2019, and I'm and he started every game. That's the first time he'd started every game since 2019. You know, I thought the the Bills made a great move this week when they signed Leonard. Uh, what's his last name? They signed Leonard. Yeah, he's had nine and a half sacks each of the last three seasons, and he and he started 17 games. But if you get Daniel Hunter, you're getting him to come in here and start. So you would have Hunter and Anderson as your starters and Hughes and Grenard as your backups, and that would be a pretty formidable group. But it, I'm guessing he's not going to come cheap, uh, and it's going to cost it's going to cost the team some money. General, two huge sports stories broke this week that did not involve the NFL, but they're so big that they just involve all sports. Messi going to MLS, which is like Pelé going to the New York Cosmos back in the day. And what was that, the NASL? And also Live Golf and the PGA merging. Thoughts on those two? I thought it was interesting that they got two major companies, Adidas, who who Messi's been with since he was a kid, and then I guess Apple, they're going to contribute to the money. And wherever he goes, he will uh, sell out stadiums. I know when they came here at NRG, I went to watch him play an exhibition because I mesmerized. I watched every match in the World Cup, and I watched all of his. I'll certainly be there. As far as the live golf, I'll say this, it's going to put all the golfers back together, and that's for better golf. It's going to give a lot more money to charities, which I've not seen mentioned anywhere, and I've read everything I can get my hands on. And because every tournament in the PGA donates a certain amount of money to charity. So since the Saudis have basically bought the PGA Tour and they say billions are going to be pumped in, well, those charities are going to benefit a lot. So will the golfers. And I'm not exactly sure. There's so many companies that we deal with around the world who have human rights violations and 
and we coddle up to and use and buy their oil. And, and in China, you know, we do all kind of business in China. I, I understand about 9-11. The loser in all this is Jay Monahan's because a year ago, he was invoking 9-11. He was coming up with every negative thing he could. And now he's been bought and paid for. And the golfers are upset. And I feel mm. bad for Tiger Woods turned down $500 million. Rory McIlroy turned down $300 million. They didn't take that blood money like some of the others. They got to find a way to compensate them for what they gave up to be loyal to the PGA Tour. General, along those All lines, right. do you think how, A, do you think it could ever happen that a Saudi group would own an NFL team? And if so, how long do you think <laughs> it would take before it could happen? NFL has a rule against foreign investment, but if the if the and we all know all the owners are going broke and they need as much money as they can. So if the if the commanders went for six point oh five billion, what if the Saudis and the guy that is the chairman of the of the deal, he's the guy that bought Newcastle and did a great job. Newcastle's great. He spent a fortune to bring in players for Newcastle and every fan loves an owner who spends a fortune to take care of players. And so he's a golf fanatic, looks like a very smart guy. And he's in, running all of this fund that the Crown Prince has. So if he said, oh, you know what? That one went for 6.05. Could you change your rules if, if I wrote you a check for $50 billion for a team? You'd think they wouldn't change oh that God. rule overnight? Of course they would. It's just a matter of how much the Saudis want to get involved in that. And, and it is. They're trying to use sports to offset some of the, all the things that they've done that people hold against them. And if you have a $700 billion fund that you can just throw money around like crazy, I'm guessing that uh, I'm guessing it's going to happen at some point because things have gone really well with their plan for live golf. It looked like they were going to go out of business, but uh, all I saw one story said they think the PGA didn't want the books exposed in a lawsuit because they're in trouble. We don't know that. We're never going to know that for sure, but it's amazing the way it happened. Not the negotiations overnight, but the way they kept it from Greg Norman, the way they kept it from Rory McIlroy and Tiger Woods, and it was almost like two guys did the deal in a back room. Yeah, it's crazy, and I did read a couple of things about that as well, that a lot of it had to do with getting rid of the litigation involved, but we don't have to talk about that right now. General, what do you have going on on SportsRadio610.com and beyond? I have a column uh, that's uh, be out in the morning about Derek Stingley and Jalen Petrie and what's expected of them this year, and D'Amico not having any player drafted above the third round, and his secondary other Jimmy Ward is now a mentor for them. And then I've got one up right now about uh, Damian Pierce and his season with uh, Devin Singletary. So have one earlier in the week that's up there. And, of course, our Utopia Football Podcast I do twice a week with Sean Pendergast. They're posted on SportsRadio610.com, which is free, free, free. Cool. Thank you, free. guys. Thanks a lot, General. We appreciate it. All right. John McClain joining us on a Thursday here on Texans Radio. Coming up, who's better we have NFL roster stuff, quarterback stuff, as always, maybe other sports stuff. You never know what's going to happen. It's who's better next here on Texans Radio. Texans Radio continues in a moment. Back to the show that keeps you plugged in with the Houston Texans. All right, we have a lot to do before the close of business here tonight. Mark Vandermeer and John Harris, let's get into who's better now, Johnny. Better roster. 
What's the better roster? So it's a what's better. Carolina or the Texans? Texans will be at Carolina. I bring this up because Bryce Young, who got, I guess, first team reps when they started OTAs, and I know Andy Dalton's been getting some action. That's it, right? Andy Dalton has been getting some action with the ones, and then Bryce Young back with the ones. So they're making a big deal about ones or twos in OTAs and minicamp. But the rosters, let's talk about that. Carolina had to move up. They lost D.J. Moore to get the number one overall selection and take Young. These two teams will hook up in Charlotte this year. Better roster, Texans or Carolina? Okay, offensively, real fast, I think Carolina. I think the offensive line's a push. Tight ends, Texans. Wide receivers, Panthers. Quarterbacks, push. Running backs, I'm going to give the slight edge to Texans. So, I mean, I think overall offensively, it's really, really close. It's, I mean, it's like uh, 52-48, 51-49. But I give the edge a little bit to the Texans there. Defensively, um, man, they, they have two superstars up front in Brian Burns and Derek Brown. Um, and that probably gives them a little bit of the edge there. I think linebackers, you know, Shaq Thompson's been there forever. I think their secondary is okay. I don't think it's, I don't think it's great. Jeremy Chin is excellent. Now, how much he plays linebacker versus how much safety? He's kind of a he's kind of a true hybrid. I think the Texans secondary is better, but I would give the defense an edge just because they have Brian Burns uh, and they've got Derek Brown. So it's a lot closer than than you would think. I think the biggest discrepancy is probably wide receiver. Uh, even though DJ Moore is gone, they do have Adam Thielen, do have Terrace Marshall, um, and those two guys I, I think together could be. Could be very good. I still think Adam Thielen's got some ball left in him. Um, but I think the Texans' secondary overall. Yeah, J.C. Horn, who got hurt, who has been hurt. Um, you know, that's a, that's a that's a thing that he has dealt with a lot is the injuries. I mean, he got hurt against us as a rookie in 2021. He got hurt just the other day. If he's not in that lineup, I, I don't trust Dante Jackson. Um, I don't love the safeties other than Chin, and it depends whether he plays safety or not. So, I think it's really close. Um, I'm going to give the edge to the Texans because uh, you and I love the Texans, and we both work for them. So I'm going Texans narrowly, <laughs> narrowly showing my bias All right. Now. Well, that's that's fair. Look, I think the Texans running backs, when you talk about Damian Pierce and Devin Singletary, I mean, looking at that objectively, that is strong stuff in your backfield, and we don't know what the other guys are going to do yet. I like that an awful lot, so let's see what happens. All right, who's better Better chance at a rebound year, Kyler Murray or Russell Wilson? Murray or Wilson for a rebound year? Wilson has Sean Payton coaching him now, but he looked really not so hot, and I'm being polite, last year. And Kyler Murray hurt, but when he's in there, he can make some plays. I don't call it regression as much as just not being available, but your thoughts? I think two things work in Russell Wilson's favor. Number one, Sean Payton. Number two, he's no longer fat, um, apparently. Um, that was not – I mean, the thing about it, it was so interesting last year in that game, Mark. You, know, you and I talked about it with Dre throughout the game. The fact that, okay, well, he'll turn into Russell sooner or later, right? He, he will, right? Now, he made that one throw to see. He made one throw. To, he made one throw. That was it. He made the one throw. Yeah. But I kept waiting for him to turn into Superman in some sense, you know, the Superman that was in Seattle. But then you think back to the end of 2021 – and you realize, man, okay, maybe there's a reason that Seattle did trade him. Maybe there were th- some things they didn't like. And I thought, nah, you know, he'll work out of it. Okay, even against us, he'll work out of it. He didn't. And I was like, okay, well, next week. 
Nope. The week after that, nope. It just never came together. So I'm going to give Russell the edge because he's got his body in shape and he's got Sean Payton. I think it remains to be seen, A, when Kyler Murray can come back, and B, what kind of offense this is without Cliff Kingsbury calling the plays. So it's more to me about the hesitation of those two things for Kyler Murray versus, oh, I think Russell Wilson is going to blow it out of the water. I, I do think that Russell's, Russell's going to have to learn how to play without that mobility. But I think Sean Payton, if it's going to happen, I think it's going to happen with Sean Payton leading him. I think that was the right thing for Denver to have done. So we'll see how that goes. And you know what? Denver needs it because if Russell Wilson fails this year, if you will, you know Sean Payton's not going to want that to happen. You know, he's not going another year with that. And I don't think the Broncos will. Holy cow, does that crush their cap for the next couple of years, if not more. They need Russell Wilson. So I'll make that the third thing. The Broncos have to have Russell Wilson. So from that perspective, I'm going to go Russell Wilson. Okay. Who's better continues. Better chance of happening. How about this one? Bill Belichick breaking Don Shula's record. He needs 19 wins to do it. Combined playoff and regular season wins. He needs 19 to get it done. To pass him. 18 to tie. Aaron Rodgers is my next fella here. Better chance, Belichick beating Shula or Aaron Rodgers getting to 70,000 yards, which would put him right behind Brett Favre and in fifth place all time. Rodgers needs 11,000 yards to get there. Mm. Belichick needs 19 wins. So for Rodgers, you'd have to say that's two-plus seasons. For Belichick, it might be two-plus seasons. There's no guarantee you could win ten games and then nine games the following year. In that division, with whatever talent they don't have, your thoughts? I think Belichick. I think 19 wins over the next couple of years. I mean, I think they can you know, they can gut it out. Um, but that would be, what, ten one year, nine the next? I mean, I mean luckily for mm. their sake, there are 17 games, and – you know, if one of those years he wins 10, they get to the playoffs, and they got a shot at another one. I just think 11,000 yards. I think two years max for Zaba in New Jersey. So I, he won't I don't there. think he's throwing by 5,500 in two years. You know, even you know, if he goes three years, you know, that's, you know, 4,000 a year. I just don't think he's playing three years. I think he's got two years in New York. I think that's kind of the way and why the deal was structured as it was, you know, kind of thinking of two years. Um so I'm going to go with, with Belichick. I think Belichick gets there. Because could could I see Belichick coaching three more years, you know, this year and two others? Yeah. Could I see Aaron Rodgers playing three years? No. That's just my hunch. So I, I'm going to go with Belichick uh, on that one. Um, it, it, I thought it, was, it was funny when you said Aaron Rodgers. I thought about I, I was I uh, told you this video had come out. It was a documentary about uh, that they ran. It was about four minutes. All the rookies, they went to the rookie premiere out in L.A., and they surprised each one of those rookies with a video from a player that they grew up idolizing. <laughs> and Rodgers was, was one of those guys a couple of times. And Sean Clifford was one of the guys that went out to that opening. And Aaron Rodgers popped up as his guy and started talking to him. He said, hey, man, how's my locker? And I just it was just so funny the way he said it because Clifford is now a Packer. And he's like, Hey man, how's my locker? And he goes, Oh no, in all seriousness, and then he went on to say some you know, some good things and how honored he was that Sean Clifford liked him. But I don't know, Rogers going to New York may end up being a good thing. I just don't think it goes beyond two years. 
All right, along those lines, who's better? Better move for a league. The PGA allowing Liv to buy them or MLS landing Messi. Better move for which one? Who has got it? So Inter Miami in 24 hours went from being sleepy little MLS team to the most followed sports team in uh, or I'm sorry more followers than any sports team in NHL NBA NFL and whatever other sports league overnight with Leo Messi going down to Miami overnight that's the impact of Messi on Miami and uh and the MLS this PGA lifting, I saw I saw a tweet today that was interesting, and I, I didn't follow the whole thread, but there was somebody pointing out that there could be some lawsuits uh, involved in yeah. this whole thing to keep an eye on that and make it legal. So I think that gets messy, M-E-S-S-Y, um, M-E-S-S-I mm-hmm. going to MLS. I think you mentioned it earlier, talking about Pelé going to um, the NASL and going to the Cosmos. That was incredible. Now, yep. they were unable to, over the, over the years, significant number of years, to kind of keep that going and keep that momentum going. I think soccer in America has had and has gotten a lot more momentum. Um, and there are so many more people in the United States that know Messi than probably knew Pelé. Pelé was probably just, wait, what? We know he's big, but, but there are people that know Messi. They've seen him in World Cups. Uh, they've watched him. Uh, over uh, overseas at Barcelona, and seen him as a you know club player, and now they get to see him in MLS. Yeah. You know, Apple TV is probably going to you know reap some rewards from this. So I'm really really curious uh, how that goes in MLS. But I think it's been a, a huge huge boon for the for the MLS. I think the PGA lifting, it's talked about, but there just seems like there's so much consternation in that whole move. With the messy thing, it's just a full-on yeah. celebration, and I'll, I'll, I think that wins out. It's funny because I was a kid in New York when Pelé went to the Cosmos, and it was gigantic. Yes. But back then, even the World Cup wasn't on TV, right? I told the story before, and what was it, the 72 Cup? I think my mom took me and my brother to Madison Square Garden to watch it on closed-circuit TV on the big screen. So wow. you had to go to Madison. You had to go to an arena. I'm sure they did it here, too, at Sam Houston or whatever was available. And you'd go to an arena and watch it on a huge screen. That's how you watch the World Cup. You would think ABC's wide world of sports would have had it. But Pelé was still huge, even though – it was difficult to watch him play. Your point about being able to see Messi play is is another great point because you can get whatever service you need to get to watch him do his thing on an international basis. And everyone saw that World Cup. We were watching it in the broadcast booth before we went on the air that day because it was right before a Texans game. All right, coming up. Thank you, Johnny, for who's better. Coming up, things we want to see at minicamp because after minicamp, it's bye-bye for six weeks to the players until training camp begins and other stuff going on around the National Football League. It's Texans Radio. Stay tuned for more on the Houston Texans and the NFL on Texans All Access. We return to Texans All Access. 
Oh, yeah, we do. We have Nick Kasseri on the show tomorrow. Looking forward to that. Visit with the general manager prior to minicamp and the big break. And we'll talk to him about summer plans for the players, himself, roster, all of it with Nick Casario tomorrow right out of the shoot at 6 p.m. Johnny, Tyreek Hill wants to break the single-season receiving yards record that was set by Calvin Johnson in 2012. I bring this up for a variety of things. 2012 was the year the Texans played the Lions on Thanksgiving. I know they played them in 2020 as well. But 2012, visiting... The Lions, Thanksgiving, that was the year Johnson, Megatron, set the record. 1,964 yards, 16-game schedule. But on that day, Andre Johnson outdid Megatron, and I'll never forget that, and I love that, that every time Dre was on the field with Calvin Johnson or Larry Fitzgerald, he would outperform those players statistically. And there's something about that I like. I know it's not about that. I know it's not supposed to be that kind of game but i do enjoy that but thoughts on hill who wants to do it it's interesting because no longer in kansas city are you gonna win a ring in miami are you getting bored i don't think he's getting bored but there are a couple of fascinating things here he was so awesome last year averaging slightly over 100 receiving yards per game and the chiefs are still awesome without him which just shows that they are the new patriots to me i think it's reasonable that he get that number I, I, I do, if uh, I could do math real quick. Let's just say 2,000. Could he get to 2,000, divided by 17 games? It's 118 yards per game for 17 weeks. That's a salty number to get to 2,000, which is about, you know, what he would need. I think it's over 1,900, whatever the case might be. Yeah, He's going to have a couple of those games. Um, luckily, the Texans don't play him this year. Um, and he's going to have a couple of those games where he goes 220, he goes, you know, 250. Um, and he's probably going to have a few where he gets only, you know, 48. Um, but I think Miami is going to find and create ways to get him the ball. I think in the second year with Mike McDaniel, he's going to find more and more ways. Now, I don't know if that's the best thing for the team because if he's getting 1,900-plus yards, then what about Jalen Waddle? Um, what about the running back situation? What if Dalvin Cook goes to the Miami Dolphins to add to Devon A-Chain uh, and Jeff Wilson, yeah. Raheem Mostert, et cetera? I don't know that you want Tyreek Hill to get to 1,900-plus yards I, if, if you're a Miami fan. I think you want this to be a balanced offense because that offense balance could put a lot of pressure on a lot of defenses. But if it's Tyreek-centric, and you're then minimizing the impact of Jalen Waddle. You're minimizing the impact uh, of that running game. Uh, I think that could end up working against Miami. So if I'm a Miami Dolphin fan, I'm like, Tyreek, look, man, just 1,300, 1,400 yards, but let's spread the wealth here. Let's get everybody involved and really make this offense dangerous because if that happens, then you get to the playoffs, then you can have 160, 170-yard games like Larry Fitzgerald did in 2008 and really blow it up um, at that point. So – you know, I like I said, if I'm a Dolphins fan, I don't want that. I want that offense to be spread mm. out amongst all those weapons they've got. Yeah, and uh, Tua is apparently working with a helmet specifically designed for quarterbacks yeah. trying to reduce concussions. We'll see how that goes for him. It's going to be great work for the Texans to have the Dolphins here at NRG Park for joint practices, then the game. Man, that's going to be fun. That's going to be must-see training camp stuff mm-hmm. to see Tyreek Hill out there and how the secondary handles him. Can't wait for that. And I was thinking, Johnny, what would the audio version be of the Texans post today, which is also on HoustonTexans.com, 
of the image of the player and the date, June 12th, 2023. That's all I got. That's all I could really do with that. I mean, I guess I could have some crowd noise and maybe like a, you know, soundtrack. But that's it. That's all it was. It's a post, and we'll see where it goes. We'll see what happens on June 12th, which would be Monday. Ooh. That post has me curious. It had a lot of people curious. Yeah. It was a, it was definitely well done by our, our social team to put that out there for whatever it is to get everybody curious. Like, okay, June 12th, um, you know, that's, that's Berman's last day. So um, it could be something with Berman. Ooh, Ooh interesting. Knows? Interesting take right there. All right, talking, so that's for sure. The inside baseball stuff on Monday is uh, it's an internal day to shoot the players uh, in uniform and get all these great shots of them, video, video board introduction, all this other stuff. It's internal media days. And you and I are going to interview 30 players or something. So rest up, my friend. It's going to be good for Monday, and everybody's going to hear that content over the next few weeks. Johnny, thanks a lot, and thank you, John McClain, as well. This show's going to be up on podcasts soon enough, and we have Nick Casario tomorrow at 6. Have a great night, everyone. Go Texans. This is Texans Radio on Sports Radio 610.